Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now beginning our third season, and we're excited more so than ever, to be here and to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we talk about and interview experts on climate change, the road to COP26, and we're going to look at climate change from a kid's eye view. You undoubtedly have been hearing the term COP26 being thrown around a lot over these last few weeks and few months. Well, COP26 is the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference. It is a big deal. COP26, it means Conference of the Partners. It's similar to the Super Bowl. It's similar to the Olympics or the Academy Awards or the Oscars. The major difference is it's not a competition. But the similarity is that it is the height, the pinnacle of what it does. And it is a conference of all world partners. And they come together to discuss and formulate actions, activities, and theories on addressing the global climate change issue. So for nearly three decades now, the United Nations has been bringing together almost every country on Earth for these global climate summits, again called COPS or Conference of the Partners. In that time, climate change has gone from being a fringe issue when it started three decades ago to a global priority now. And this year, actually in a few days, starting November 2nd, will be the 26th of these annual summits, i.e. COP26. This year, the United Kingdom is the president of COP26, and it takes place in Glasgow, Scotland, which is a part of the United Kingdom. Again, the COP was established by the United Nations as the supreme decision-making body as it relates to climate change issues and action. And it comprises or is consisted of the ratifying governments and the regional economic integration organizations, such as the European Union. So world leaders are already beginning to arrive in Scotland. You've heard on the news probably the last few days how our own President Biden is leading or has been planning to lead. And he, as well as the other leaders, will be alongside tens of thousands of negotiators, government representatives, businesses, and citizens for these 12 days of very important talks. You might ask, why is this year's COP so much more important than others in the past? Well, it goes back to the Paris COP, or the Paris Agreement, which most of us have heard about 
by this point, and that was in 2015. And there, the nations established, again, that Paris Agreement, which was a legally binding treaty, one of the first ever, in which leaders pledged to limit global emissions. And the treaty was signed by 196 countries, and it included rich countries such as ours and Germany and France, and they were offering financial assistance to the poor countries to help them reduce emissions, most of which were caused by the richer countries. And the treaty is assessed or reevaluated every five years, and it will be the topic of main discussions in this year's COP26. And so COP26 is the first time, really, that the Paris Accord Treaty will be revisited, and countries will need to show how they have met their national targets that they committed to in 2015. So many believe that this year's COP is the last chance to keep hopes alive of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. So it has never, ever been more important than now. And so not only is the COP a huge task, but it's also not just another old international summit. Most experts believe that this year's COP has a unique urgency, primarily because of global events over the last couple of years, one of which, of course, was that the U.S. withdrew from the Paris Agreement for a time, and now, of course, we're back in. Other things that make it so urgent is one of them is the future of megacities, these huge cities that have populations of 10, 20, 30 million people. And the future of those very large megacities hangs in the balance as the diplomats prepare for COP26. And the reason is because of the warming seas, the disappearing sheets of ice, and the rising sea levels. For example, about 50 million people in China which has the most megacities, currently live on land that is threatened by multi-century sea level rise if warming reaches or exceeds three degrees centigrade. Another very important global issue that's making the COP so important this year is that climate change poses a widening and severe threat to our U.S. national security. The Biden administration a few weeks ago released several reports on climate change and national security where they laid out in very stark terms the ways in which the warming world is beginning to pose significant challenges to worldwide stability. And they include strife or the potential for wars and fights among nations, as well as the increasing migration problem, which we in the U.S., now, along with other nations, are beginning to feel. The other major threat is the fossil fuels fight, where we in the U.S. are making very little dent as it relates to our dependence on gasoline. And then coal is shaping up to be a very big point of contention. The past president of the COP has said he wants to use this meeting to consign coal to our history. In other words, get rid of it. And so it's going to be very important that coal really got its start in powering the economy of the U.K. and their revolution, which, of course, is where it's going to be held. But countries like China, Russia, and India recently 
have opposed the demise of coal, but that's a big issue. To understand why COP26 is so important, it's necessary to look back at another COP. And again, that is the most recent one prior to now, and that was the 2015 COP or the Paris Agreement. Again, as we noted, for the first time ever at the Paris Agreement, something very momentous happened. Each and every country agreed to work together to limit global warming to well below two degrees and aim for limitation of global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. The commitment to aim for 1.5 degrees is important because it seems insignificant. 1.5 is not that much in the framework of things. But in terms of global warming, it's very, very significant because every fraction of a degree of warming results in tragedy of many more lives lost and many more livelihoods affected and damaged. And so under the Paris Agreement, countries committed to bring forth national plans setting out exactly how they were going to reduce their own emissions. And this was known as the nationally determined contributions. And that's because each company went back to study and said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And at that time, they also agreed that every five years, they would come back and report back or have a report card, if you would. But the commitments that were laid out in Paris did not even come close to limiting global warming to that 1.5 degrees centigrade. And right now, the window for achieving this is closing fast. The decade out to 2030, which is nine years from now, will be crucial. And so, as momentous as Paris was, countries must go much further now to keep the hope of holding temperature rise down to the 1.5 degrees. So, you probably wonder, as I did, why does limiting temperature rise to 1.5 degrees matter? Well, at two degrees of global warming, there would be widespread and severe impacts on people and nature. One third of the world's population would be regularly exposed to severe heat, causing death and health problems, and more and more heat-related issues. And we're going to go to break now, but after the break, I'm going to continue to tell you why that temperature rise to 1.5 degrees matters and why it's so important, even though 1.5 in the nature of things doesn't seem a big deal for us. This is important. So we're going to go to break now, and after that, we will resume this very important discussion. We want to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas community. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, 
practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body, specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To today's episode on the road to COP26 in Glasgow, and we're going to look at climate change later on from a kid's eye view. Before the break, we were trying to explain why limiting temperature to 1.5 degrees matters and why it's so important, even though when you look at 1.5 of anything, people tend not to attach a lot of significance to it. But again, as we noted, a third of the world's population would be regularly exposed to severe heat, leading to death from heat stroke, as well as a lot of other heat-related problems at a two degrees global warming. As well, at two degrees global warming, almost all warm water coral reefs would be destroyed, and they're already showing severe signs of stress. And the Arctic sea ice would melt entirely at two degrees, at least one summer per decade. And they're already melting, not quite entirely yet, but we are seeing the stress there. And of course, all of that would have devastating impacts on wildlife and the communities that the Arctic supports, as well as the communities that are supported by the wildlife. And of course, we cannot rule out the possibility that irreversible loss of ice sheets in Greenland and the Antarctic could be triggered, leading to several meters of sea level rise over centuries to come. And that sea level rise would affect every continent in any global or coastal area in the world. And at 1.5 degrees centigrade, the impacts would be serious, but not quite as severe as what we just described with the 2 degrees centigrade. At 1.5, there would be lower risk of food and water shortages, lower risk to economic growth, and fewer species at risk of extinction. Threats to human health from air pollution, disease, malnutrition, and exposure to extreme heat would also be lower at 1.5 than it would be at 2 degrees. And that is why every fraction of a degree in warming matters. And that is why we are dedicated to keeping the prospect of holding that temperature rise to 1.5 degrees alive, states the president of the UN Climate Change Conference. And so as momentous as the Paris Agreement was, countries must go much further than they did even at that historic summit in order to keep the hope of holding those temperature rises down to 1.5. And so the COP26 that's coming up in a few days in Glasgow must be decisive. So what do we need to achieve in Glasgow in a few days in order for it to be decisive and successful? Well, the first goal there is to secure global net zero by mid-century and to keep the 1.5 degrees within reach. Now, the world is currently not on track or anywhere really near on track to limit global warming to the 1.5 degrees centigrade. 
The targets announced in Paris in 2015 would result in warming well above 3 degrees by 2100 compared to pre-industrial levels. So if we continue as we are, temperatures will carry on rising, bringing even more catastrophic flooding, bushfires, extreme weather, and destruction of some of our animal and plant species. And so we've made some progress in recent months to bend that temperature curve closer to two degrees, a lot of that because of the world shutdown or lockdown due to COVID. But science shows that much more must be done fairly quickly to keep the 1.5 degrees in reach. And so the goal for COP26 is that countries are being asked to come forth with some very, very ambitious goals for 2030, again, nine years from now, to keep those emission targets, reduction targets, so that they will align with reaching net zero by the middle of the century. You hear the term a lot, net zero. So what does that mean? Net zero emissions refers to achieving an overall balance between the greenhouse gas emissions, smog, ozone, things like that are produced by fossil fuels that go into our atmosphere, keeping a balance between those and the greenhouse gas emissions that are taken out of the atmosphere. Think of it like a set of scales. You know, producing the greenhouse gas emissions that we put into the atmosphere tips the scales way up. And so we want to or have to really now get those scales back into balance, which means no more greenhouse gas can be added to the atmosphere in any given year than is taken out. And greenhouse gas is taken out by absorption. Trees and forest and plants absorb that greenhouse gas. And the other way it's taken out is it can be captured by some technology-driven methods. And so to deliver on stretching these targets, countries are going to need to accelerate the phase out of coal. They're going to have to encourage and accelerate investment in renewable energy sources, and they're going to need to curtail or eliminate deforestation, which is taking out, mowing down trees and plants. And they're going to need to speed up their switch to all electric vehicles. The second goal of COP26 is to protect communities and natural habitats. People across the world are already living with a devastating extreme weather heightened by the changing climate. Every region has their own brand of extreme weather. Here in North Texas, we, we have cold snaps and we have extreme heat. Out west, we're all hearing about the wildfires. And then in some of the eastern, northern, or New England, they have the very devastating snows. So in other parts of the country have their own tornadoes, flooding, and other parts of the globe are experiencing the same sort of thing. And so all of us everywhere are seeing more extreme of whatever it is that we already have. So even as we work tirelessly to reduce emissions, further change really in weather and habitats is inevitable. We know that the most vulnerable of our populations are at the greatest risk from climate change and that they've done the least to cause it. In other words, the people who get the burden are not the ones who are causing all of the climate change. 
So action to address this and to build resilience is needed now before more people lose their lives or lose their livelihoods. So the international community must now unite and support people who are most vulnerable to the impacts of the changing climate. The goal, and climate change is already changing, and it will continue to change even if we reduce emissions with devastating effects, but at COP26, the goal is to work together to enable and encourage countries affected by climate change to protect and to restore and rebuild their ecosystem, for them to build defenses and to put warning systems in place and to make their infrastructure and their agricultural systems more resilient in order to avoid the loss of people's homes, in order to avoid the loss of people's jobs and their lives. The next goal of COP26 is to mobilize or bring together the finances, the monies, the funds needed to make some of this happen. And so to achieve the climate change goals, every company, every financial institution, every bank, every insurer, and every investor is going to need to change their outlook and their actions. Countries need to manage the increasing impacts of climate change on their citizens' lives, and obviously the money to do this is going to be needed. So the scale and the speed of changes that we need to make is going to require all forms of finance, both public finance for the development of infrastructure, it's going to need to transition to a greener and more climate-resilient economy, private finance that's needed to fund technology and innovation, and then to help turn some of those billions of dollars of public money into trillions for the total climate investment. So developing countries in particular need to support because they are the ones who have more of the money. And so they must deliver on their promise, which they made in Paris, of at least $100 billion every year. It's been estimated that in 2018, only $78 billion of finance was brought together. So they've missed the mark. So the goal for COP26, in order to help realize those first two goals, is that developed countries must deliver on their promise to raise at least $100 billion for climate change financing every year. And the third goal for COP26 is that the globe, all the countries must work together to deliver these promises. So reaching agreement in the negotiations is the formal process and the primary goal for all the people who are going to be participating in a few days in that 12-day meeting of COP26. And doing that, reaching a goal, coming to consensus, is going to help deliver on those other three goals, as well as showing us as individuals, as well as the rest of the world, showing them the good faith, showing everybody that the world is moving to a resilient net zero economy. And so again, the goal is to focus those negotiations to finalize the rules that are needed to implement Paris. It's called the Paris Rulebook. And then to turn these ambitious actions into reality by accelerating collaboration between the various governments, businesses, and civil society to deliver on these climate change goals faster. In other words, us ordinary citizens, businesses, everybody's got to step it up a lot. So we're going to go to break now and then continue for just a minute on summing up the importance of COP26 
and why it's so important to everybody. And then we're going to move on to our very special guest to help us talk about the kids' eye view to climate change. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on the road to COP26, as well as looking at climate change from a kid's eye view. So before the break, again, we were trying to impress upon our listeners the importance of COP26. And as you all noted, again, the United States pulled out a bit, which most people feel slowed the progress of even the work and the commitment and the actions of some of the other nations. But it is very heartwarming that when the U.S. did make that commitment to re-enter COP, we did come back in a very ferocious manner. And from everything we can tell, a lot of the businesses, while they may have stopped talking about it, they did not stop acting upon it. One of the things that is a manifestation that we've seen is that all the major car companies have immediately announced that within the next few years or so, they're all going to production of all electric vehicles. And that's something that can't happen overnight. They would have had to have made those decisions really way before we got out of or right during the time we were getting out of the Paris Agreement. So again, it tells us that all the world really did not stop. There was continuous action on it. So, as you can imagine, these international climate change talks, the summit, COP26, it's a very complex endeavor and undertaking. More than 190 world leaders are expected and really already beginning to arrive in Scotland for the conference that's going to start on November 2nd. They, together with tens of thousands of negotiators as we talk, government representatives, regular citizens, and businesses are going to be talking and having a lot of side conferences. In fact, many pre-conferences have already taken place leading up to these 12 days. And so not only is it a huge task, and not only is it just another international summit. Again, most experts believe COP26 has a particular urgency right now. And so we're very excited about it, and we're following it, and we'll keep you appraised. We are, though, however, making some progress. Around 70% of the world's economy is now committed to reaching that net zero emissions that we talked about. And that's up from 30% of the world's economy committed from a few years ago. More than 80 countries have formally updated their nationally determined commitments. And all the G7 countries have announced new national determined commitments targets that will put them on path to net zero emissions by 2050. You know, or you may remember the G7 countries consist of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, United States, and the European Union. So they're all in and they've updated their commitments. And so that accounts for around half the global economy. And that is G7. And again, they've all updated also their 2030 targets, again, nine years from now. And that's going to put them 
well on that pathway to net zero by that 2050 date that they've committed to. As well, solar and wind are now cheaper than coal, which gives all of us and all the economies and businesses encouragement to use it. And gas power plants in two-thirds of the countries of the world are beginning to diminish. This is a lot. But we here at Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, we're doing a follow-up on what will have happened at COP26. And we've already got lined up some of our past expert guests to unpack it all for us and let us know some of the important things, some of the significant things that will have happened over these next 12 days and how it affects you and why you should care. So stay tuned. Now we want to move more to our next segment, and that is about climate change from a kid's eye view. And in line with that, we want to make note that the United Nations COP, Conference of the Partners, also has a youth counterpart, and it's called COI. <laughs> they like these, these initials. It's called COI-16. COI stands for the United Nations Climate Change Conference of Youth, whereas you remember COP was Conference of the Partners. And this year, alongside COP26, they're having the 16th annual Conference of Youth. And it's one of the largest entirely youth-led global youth climate conferences in the world. And that conference really has already taken place, but the findings, the residual, and some of the participants of that conference will also be involved in Glasgow in a few days. But the Climate Change Conference of Youth was a space for capacity building for youth and policy training in order to prepare those young people for their upcoming participation in COP, as well as to prepare them for their life locally to become advocates, locally, regionally, and on the world stage. And today, we have a very special guest who is not a part of the COI, but someone we want to query and talk to to help us get the opinion of the average young person to see what she knows and how she feels about climate change and how it's impacting her life and her future. Today, we have with us 13-year-old Natalia Langford, and we call her Natty. And to let you know, she is my niece. And she's going to talk to us and help us kind of understand what people her age think and how they feel about this. So, hi, Natty. Thank you so much for taking your time out from your day to talk to us. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. We're so excited. So, we want to start, and again, there's not a right or wrong. We just want to know your opinions, what mm-hmm. you think. That helps to inform us in terms of how we talk and some of the things we as adults need to do. So, I want to start out by asking you, what does climate change mean to you? What have you heard about it? Um, well, I've heard many different things. Like, I've heard of it being really bad, how humans are causing it. And I actually do agree with that because when I'm driving or anything I see um, on the side of the road, I always see a whole bunch of trash. And it's from fast food places or cigarettes. It's something like that. So I definitely think humans are causing this. And what do you think it has to do with you, if anything? You know, you've heard 
me say over the first part of the show over and over again that, you know, we all have to pay attention to it. It's important to all of us. So what do you think it has to do with you? How do you think it could affect you in your future? I mean, what's going to happen is I feel like it's just the world, it's going to get, the world's going to be so cluttery and it's going to be bad for people's health. And if you see that there's a lot of cancers, a lot of lung cancers because of the smoke, like when you see the big four-wheeler trucks that have the smoke coming out of it, that's because of, like, it goes into the air and it makes your lungs bad. So. Indeed. And it makes a whole lot of other things bad. Very astute. Because that is just a perfect example. The smoke you see coming from the big diesel trucks or what have you. That same thing is happening over and over again, Natty. You may not have seen it because you probably may not have seen coal plants or other power plants in your area. Or maybe as you drive along the highway between... Atlanta and Texas, but you've got a lot of power plants and other facilities that are pluming out smoke like that truck, only much more so. And all of that is going into the air Mm -hmm. and it's warming the atmosphere and it's creating not only air pollution, but it's creating global warming, which is my next question. What does global warming mean to you? Or as I heard one five-year-old called it, global warning. She did not know how correct she was. (laughs) She was trying to say warming, but she said warning. And us adults, like, just, it was funny, but it was all, it was poignant also, because Mm -hmm. it really is global warning. So what does global warming mean to you? Um, Well, it just means that we need to start making a change. And the way I make a change is I recycle bottles. Um, my, my, my family, like they laugh at me for it, but I do, I do recycle because I see way too many plastic and bottles and trash. And I just, I can't sit there and just let that happen. Like if I could, I would make a group just to pick up, like I make a group or society just to pick up trash because I feel like that's what's happening. That is the point where most youth really enter the whole climate change, global warming conversation, because it's something very doable and reachable for y'all. But most of them do reach there in terms of cleanup, trash pickup, things like that. In fact, on last year's show, I interviewed three sets of youth from around the world. I think it was Australia, England, and someplace else where they actually had, had done notable, organized notable pickups. I'll send you some information there. And it does add to the climate change. But the global warming is primarily caused by that first thing you mentioned, and that's all of the smoke and these gases going into the climate. Have you ever seen a greenhouse? Do you know how greenhouses work? I have not in a greenhouse, but I have learned about it in school. That was something that we had talked about, and gases. We're going to go to break now, but after the break, we're going to talk about greenhouse gases, and I'm going to let you tell me what you know about greenhouses, because that's very important, and I like to talk about that even with adults, so they get a real good understanding of greenhouse gases and what it's doing to us and how it causes climate change. We'll be right back with Natalia Langford from Atlanta, Georgia, on the other side of the break. We want to give a shout-out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. 
Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas. Offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body and non-mercury. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at LynnDentalCare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on the road to COP26 and climate change from a kid's eye view. And we're back on this second part of the show with Natalia Langford, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, and she is a 13-year-old. And Natalia, I forgot, would you tell us what grade you're in? I am in seventh grade. Okay. And again, thank you for being with us. And Natalia is my niece, and she's giving us a kid's eye view on climate change. And right before the break, we were just started on a very important discussion, I think, for kids, as well as some of us adults. And that was kind of helping us unpack the meaning and the impact of greenhouse gases, because this is kind of where, it's not where it starts, but this is that pivot point of taking the human impact and the human causation to where it causes climate change and all its devastating effects. Now, you told me, Natty, that you all learned about greenhouses or greenhouse gases in school. Tell me what you learned about them. I know they're trapped gases. Yes. They do get released. That's a perfect example and definition, and I don't have to start using it. Greenhouses trap gases. In, In a greenhouse where you're growing plants, they're trapping the sunlight in there and the moisture to help plants grow better. And what we mean about the greenhouse gas and the greenhouse gas effect is, you know, earlier when we were talking about all those plumes of smoke coming from the trucks and coming from power plants, as well as the stuff that comes from the tailpipes of our cars. Well, that gets trapped into the layer of our atmosphere, and it stays down here with us. And we're walking around in it, living in it, and it's causing the atmosphere around us, the climate, to warm because it gets trapped. It traps the sunlight, heat here with us. That's the greenhouse gases, the greenhouse effect. So, Natty, what if I tell you that about 10 years from now, or really, as we noted earlier, 2030, that's nine years from now, so nine or 10 years from now, about the time that you are graduating from college, beginning to look forward to starting your adult life, What if I tell you maybe that the air might at that time, if we don't do something, would always be dark and gray and cloudy looking and smog filled? How would you feel about that? How would that make you feel? I would feel very, (laughs) like, upset because people have the money and they have the resources to fix it. They just don't want to fix it. That's a lot of our problems here in America that we 
have the resources and the money to fix things, but we don't want to take the initiative to fix it. Make me very upset. Some youth, like Greta Thunberg and many others, are they've moved from being upset to angry because it's your future. Because, like I said, 10 years from now, if that was the case, you're just beginning to start your life. <laughs> <laughs> and then you might have to walk around. If that happens, you, you would have to walk around with a mask all the time, like they do in some countries already, actually. Their smog is so bad that they're having to walk around with masks all the time. On the other hand, our future could be all electric vehicles and many other changes. And we're going to hope for that scenario <laughs> rather than the smog fill scenario. Let me ask you another what if. What if I tell you that if you, your family, and everyone you know would stop eating meat, no meat, <laughs> and only eat plant-based food, that that could make a big dent in the reduction of global warming? How would you feel about that? when it begins to affect your appetite and what you eat. <laughs> I'm supporting a good cause, so I sit there and be selfish. But I love steak. <laughs> I love great steak for a vegetable. But, I mean, if I'm supporting a cause, I'll just eat plant-based food. Yeah, and I think that's the issue sometimes, and that's the reason for this radio show, Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is to really help people to understand what the choices are, what's happening. Because what you're telling me in essence that it's a cause. And as with most people, you may not want to do it, but if it's the lesser of evils, or if you have to make that sacrifice in order to have clean, clear, fresh air, in order not to have to wear a mask all the time, in order to be able to see your hand in front of your face when you're going out in the middle of the day, if you have to make the choice of, oh, eat less or eat no meat, then you would probably be willing to make that choice. But what we find the challenge is a lot of people don't realize that this is a bonus. One of the other things that most people do see, and there in Atlanta, you all have extreme cold, but you also kind of have some extreme heat, is our extreme weather, which we're going to be talking about on this show all next month. Have you noticed how extreme weather events are getting more devastating, if not in your own area, even on TV? What have you seen in that? In that? Well, in Georgia, having terrible tornadoes, and tornadoes is something that I see every year, and every year I feel like the tornadoes are getting more and more dangerous because they're just destroying even more homes, more destruction, and they were the other years. Yeah, I think. Yeah, every year they get worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah, scientists and statistics and studies have shown, even with the heat, every year the average temperatures are hotter and hotter or higher and higher. And what about snow and ice there? Are you seeing more snow and ice there in Atlanta area? No, ma'am. I'm seeing less. I'm oh, Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know why, um, but it's weird because the winters here are so cold, but there's no ice. Okay. No, yeah, that's weird, you know? So. Well, here in North Texas, we don't typically, well, I won't say typically. It used to be that we didn't get a lot of snow and ice. Now we do. Not that often, but when we do get it, it gets worse, i.e. more extreme 
again, you take that, and of course, you hear about the wildfires in California, how every year they're getting worse. And this very same thing, we don't talk about it a lot here in the U.S. because we've got our own issues, but this very same thing is happening on other continents. Places are getting colder, places are getting hot, more tornadoes. Just take our situation and take it and sit it on continent after continent, and that's happening. And that has been shown to be a function of the global warming that's caused by the climate change that we're seeing. So let me ask you this, Natty, and I'm sure you must have some. What questions do you have or answers would you seek about climate change and global warming? What's on your mind? What things do you wonder about? I just, again, I worry about the air, the small. I just worry about all the type of the air because that's what we're breathing every day. Yep. Me and my mom have noticed that every time she tells me to go outside and go get fresh air, I always come back with, like, very, like, I might just be sick inside, and I have, like, this very stinky, like, scent, and you've only been out there for, like, 15 to 20 minutes. But I think air is the biggest problem for me. And I'm not even... And you were saying? And I'm not even, like, running around or anything. Like, we noticed that. That's how my mom was like, mm, the air might not be as fresh as it <laughs> seems. Yeah. Indeed. That is, air pollution is probably the most costly of the effects of climate change, global warming, of all of them. And its costly effects are manifested in our health. Yeah, we do a whole show on air pollution. That one gets a bit a little scary. But a lot of that, again, is within our own control. But air pollution is one of the, the biggest effects. And that's what I was talking about earlier as one of those goals for the COP26 conference. And they recognize it, too. And that was one where they talked about protecting nature and natural habitats. Because a lot of areas, they cut down trees. You know, Atlanta, Georgia in general, and especially in the Atlanta area, has lots of trees. But with every new subdivision, and you see subdivision after subdivision after subdivision, every new subdivision mows down lots of trees. I've seen that in your area. And trees are one of the big ways that we're able to suck out that air pollution from the air. It absorbs it. It's all of these various things work together to our detriment, which is why they're all so very important. But that can be your issue to work on in the future. That's your youth issue, Natalia, air pollution and then trash bringing up a second. Thank you so much. We have been here today with Natalia Langford, seventh grader, 13 years old from Atlanta, Georgia, who's helped us understand a little bit some of the kids' concerns as well as trying to filter out what they know and what their questions are about climate change and global warming. We really appreciate you taking time from your day. Thank you. And I will send you information to help you on your journey of being part of the solution. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day, Natty. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here. But our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts, 
taken by billions of people every day like yourself. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for being with us and join us again next week as we start our series on extreme weather events. Thank you, audience.